God. Welcome back to The Human Exception. What does Aleister Crowley, Scientology, and rockets have in common? Jack Parsons. Hallie tells us all about the guy that helped enable us to go to space, but also liked to do black magic sexual rituals on the side. As usual, expect foul language, but we will also be talking about sex cults with brief mentions of Scientology, suicide, and relationships with minors. Let's get ready for another Human Exception. so bad that i'm about to put y'all through a book report i'm so sorry i love I mean, book reports we've got how many are in the right me doing it to you so <laughs> i know i know i know but this is like so okay 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 um i don't know how i didn't know this i was really upset when i had to learn about it from another podcast that was recorded several years ago i went who the fuck is jack parsons and why does did he know both alistair crowley and l ron hubbard like <laughs> what is happening why did this happen this is incredible i love these like messed up genius stories and I still love the Very fact that you're guy. like, I'm going to do Jack Parsons. I'm like, why the fuck does that sound familiar? Yes. Conspiracy. Of course. <laughs> is there something called the Jack Parsons Project or am I crazy? Uh, there's something called the Jet Propulsion Lab that he founded. No, not what I was okay. thinking. Okay. What am I thinking of? No, I had, God, I had no. the same thought the other day, too. And I was like, putting together some images for it. I was like, yeah. I don't know where that came from. It's definitely been. F- floated around i think more in recent in recent history um because as we'll talk about most people focus on the salacious and they forget the fact that he was a goddamn fucking genius who had no regards for his own safety (laughs) oh look you can't progress if you don't try and kill yourself (laughs) exactly explosions let's see what happens (laughs) this is this is what those the billionaires <laughs> in the sub have been talking about the oh wait, uh-huh anymore. uh-huh yep yep uh. there's um <laughs> it is also interesting to me that again like when we were talking about wikipedia the wikipedia article on him is extremely detailed hey i couldn't even get into some of it because i'm like i'm gonna add another five goddamn pages to this if i keep <laughs> going <laughs> We're going to have to skip a few years here, Jack. Sorry, but you just kept trying to blow yourself up. So this is where we're at. Um, Because he really did. Uh, So Jack Parsons, weird dude. Um, Like I said, the a lot of the articles, even some that will be in the show notes. And I'm I'm not, you know, um, scraping them over the coals by any means. I get it. Journalists got to make their money. You know, salacious cells. There was a lot of sex. There was a cult or a few. There was a compound. There was some black magic rituals with blood magic, oh, fire, okay. daggers, mm-hmm. orgies, 
Mm. And lots okay. of Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex Crowley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard in his pre-Scientology days. And then rockets. All of that combined. It's great. I, I can't wait till we get to the part where he summons his second wife. so um there's a very good biography about him called strange angel which the television show that lasted only a couple of seasons from a few years back uh it didn't last very long again mostly because they were trying to make a television show and not a true like biopic uh salacious and also, no shade to the dude who played Jack Parsons, but they cast an Irish actor, which I thought was a choice, who didn't look anything like him. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing? He was an American rocket scientist. Like, I'm so confused right now. Anyways, um, I recommend the book. It's called Strange Angel, The Otherworldly Life of Rocket Scientist John Whiteside Parsons by George Pendle. It's very good. Uh, it reads real quick because... It reads like fiction, and it's not. Um, (laughs) What really got me, though, about him was because that, like we see with some of these folks, their brilliant scientific mind is that way because they are so obsessive about one thing or a handful of things, and they have to get it right, and then things get twisted around by these weird beliefs with no proof. So it's like science, no science, scientific method. Black magic, sure. Those don't. Okay, so it's that doesn't sound familiar. It's that the, doesn't it's sound familiar scientific at all. Magic method. It's scientific magic method. There we go. And you know, daggers and shit. So that's fine. Um, I mean, so there is a point yes. in science when you realize that there's shit you can't explain, exactly. and then you're you're down with like trying out some kooky shit like throwing salt over your shoulder every time you spill it because just in case <laughs> it might do something what's that what's that quote to be f- it's like any advanced civilization or advanced technology is indistinguishable mm-hmm. from magic or something like that mm-hmm. yeah magic and science are roughly the same equation which is actually what uh parsons kind of believed in a way or like he shaped his beliefs that we'll talk about it's kind of an interesting little Mm, side road we'll call it so we're doing uh science space black magic with a dash of some of the messiest personal drama i've seen outside of a reality show so strap in bitches let's go <laughs> this needs to be a mini series oh god i wish they'd done better on the television show that was disappointing um the little bit that i watched i was like this doesn't work this is just like oh oh this just didn't work um, so Jack Parsons, Jack was not his real name. He was born Marvel Whiteside Parsons. That's a name. I'm Marvel. sorry, what? That's a name. Marvel. Marvel. Why is Marvel. That a name? Marvel. Marvel Whiteside Parsons. He was named after his father. Senior. What? Whitesides? Yep. Is that a is that a surname? It's a f- into a family name? name. It's a family name, yeah. Um his if this was mother- a novel. We would be setting the note that they needed to rename that character because it's too much. <laughs> That's really bad. <laughs> His mother was Ruth Whiteside. That was her maiden name. Okay, that uh, he came. Out. Yeah, he came actually from a, a very progressive family. Surprisingly enough, um, he was born in October in 1914 in Los Angeles. The history of Los Angeles is fucking crazy, wild pants yeah. banana boat um uh yeah and that'll come back 
around too. So in this one, so he uh, was born to Ruth and Marvel Senior. I just have to note that again because it's funny. Um, and his parents had some really interesting uh, new age spiritualism and occult beliefs. They got kind of swept up in that as it went across L.A. at the turn of the century. So that's that's where you wanted to go. You would go from Vegas to L.A. You would bet and then you would get in your car and you would drive to L.A. and you would put roots out down there and you would believe in some weird woo woo stuff. And that's even true now. I was just going to say, it's not just L.A. now. It's just L.A. now. It's always been a hotbed for for that shit. Um, Weird shit. Weird shit. For the most part didn't hurt nobody it doesn't hurt nobody now yeah. jack hurt some people we'll talk about that <laughs> um <laughs> uh his mom though learned that good old marvel senior was a little ha- ha- had a few side pieces oh. and she promptly kicked him out she wasn't that aggressive um, she, <laughs> she was just like eh do you don't i don't need you and just booted the whole man <laughs> so <laughs> I like her. His name was Marvel. I, I was so. like, she feisty. She feisty. Okay. Um, she was. She actually outed him to the the neighborhood, the very wealthy neighborhood in which they lived. So she basically got on next door and I was like, "This her. son of a bitch, I'm burning his shit on the lawn." I love her. I love her. I love her. Okay. And she, especially, I think her motivation was because she found out that he was cheating on her as she was pregnant and right after she gave birth to his oh, son. Man. Yeah, fuck him. <sighs> Yeah, fuck fuck him with him. Razor. Mm-hmm. So she boots him. She turns around and realizes she has this baby named after the dude she just booted and decides that she's going to go as far as legally changing old Marvel Jr.'s name to John Whiteside Parsons. Did him a favor. Giving him the middle name. Yep, that was her maiden name. Yeah. And then had him rechristened. Fuck <laughs> yes, Ruth. <laughs> I She's love her. So pissed. <laughs> She's like, I don't need this man. I don't need no this? man. 1914 is the year he was. Oh, born. girl. She is such a fucking badass. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it for good and bad, I think, as we'll as we'll see. Um, she got a little attached to her son. Oh, no. Not in a good and way. Um, she raised. Uh, <laughs> oh, spoilers! <laughs> I'm on comfy. You you said he got attached, and I was like, oh no! Oh yes, there is some Oedipal something going on here. No, uh, I like yeah, that. you know, I know, I know. But I, I mean, she raised him on her own with help from her parents, who had their own wealth because her dad was uh, had um, taken a sorry, lost my spot taken basically a buyout he'd owned like a big manufacturing plant in chicago and so the whole family is together now in la her parents are there they moved to this place in pasadena called orange grove avenue which was known as millionaire's mile in pasadena oh jack winds up being an only child and so like so many only children spends a lot of time alone with adults (laughs) big imagination urge to experiment and he got jack got really fascinated by the stories of jules verne and what he read in these 
incredible pulp magazines called Amazing oh, Stories. Amazing so stories. I have a couple samples oh. of these. My amazing stories. had those. He uh-huh. had those and my dad read them. These are so cool. They are batshit, but they are so cool. So oh, here's the cover of the very first one. Yes. Okay. With yeah. stories by H.G. Wells, Jules Verne, and some dude named Edgar Allan Poe. Dope. Nope. Oh my 1926. god. Nineteen twenty-six. April nineteenth. All those guys are nobodies, right? Yeah. They must Pretty not good. have done nobodies. anything. Twenty-five cents. What? A, what a time to be alive. Yeah. 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 That's insane. They have the beautiful um, time. Let me show you all this. It'll be in the show notes too. I think this is so cool. There's actually an archive. There was a pulp, there's a thing called the Pulp Magazines Project. So it's an archive of all fiction pulpwood magazines from 1896 to 1946. Oh my so god. 50 years of these. There's the link. I just thought these were so cool. So this is what he was reading as a kid. Those look so fun. Like so much fun. Don't they look at fun? Yeah, the covers Liners are of space. incredible. Liners of space. I've well, seen some of these, some like, of the blue books and stuff. Like, oh my gosh. Remember when we were going to have, like, quality living in the future? Yeah, what's that? I don't know what that is. I'm jab packs. My 20 was oh, much yeah. cooler 60 years ago. <laughs> Transportation everywhere. Yeah, yeah you know, without like, cars. All these, hey, you know, the 2010, 2020 is going to be so awesome, and God. Everyone's like, we're gonna be living like the Jetsons. I'm really I'm sad. Like, oh, there, I guess there's like a reboot recently of the Jetsons that like paints it more as like a dystopic. Everyone has to live Ooh. above the clouds because they like yeah. move to the ground. And I'm like, that's Checks more out. like you that like, like it. it. <laughs> that's yeah. wow. Okay, remember the yeah. little boy with his little helmet? That's so that he doesn't get COVID. <laughs> oh, Courtney. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> rip <laughs> oh gosh so yeah this is what he's reading i encourage you all if anyone's listening to go check out this digital archives hub for pulpmags.org um, it's really cool they have stuff in here where i'm like i know i've seen these before like it's like you said courtney i know my grandparents probably had some of this stuff laying around oh yeah like it's 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 a really neat project. Good on them for archiving that bit of history. Um, yeah, the cover illustrations are really cool. And um, in the words of the magazine's founder, Hugo Gernsback, great name. Oh, my gosh. Great name. Great fucking name. Uh, he was originally from Luxembourg, I believe. He said that he wanted the magazines to impart knowledge without once making us aware that we were being taught. Mm-hmm. We should, uh, we should do an like, episode okay. where we read like, random stories from that stuff. It would be really. I thought it's, about it's that. That be would be like, really fun. Common, like you know, public domain at this point. It's. It has to be. We could definitely check on that. But yeah, I think these would be. Yeah, it's open access digital archive. Um, your own radio play. <laughs> yeah, this is. It, it's cover to cover scans. They've worked with different. Yeah, we can definitely. Um, go through here and take a look i think okay statement of copyright non-commercial educational purposes i think we're only. non-commercial <laughs> yep we're not non-commercial we take no money for this gig so uh That's to the funny. best of our knowledge they're out of copyright or are presented in a limited capacity for good faith there, there you go. go there we go so yeah this is what he's reading um 
he the first issue came out in 1926 when he would have been about 12. So like formative, formative years of imagination when he can understand the context and be like, let's go blow up shit in the backyard, which is exactly what he did. Uh, so Jack decided he was going to bring his uh, really close friend and classmate along, Edward Foreman. Foreman would be with Jack until the day Jack dies. Oh, so he's friend, like, they are diehard. <laughs> Were they roommates? I was just going to say. They were not roommates. They were not roommates. As far as we can tell from everything in Jack's history, he was at the very least straight presenting. I saw no relationships with anyone but women. Um, But that doesn't mean anything. Who knows, right? So, Uh, But no, they were like the bestest of best friends. They were from totally different backgrounds. Foreman grew up uh, as part of a working class family on the other side of Pasadena. You know, Jack is growing up on Millionaire's Mile, but Foreman was bigger than Jack, quite a bit taller. He was a couple of years older. And so Foreman was kind of Jack's defender against like the bullies and the kids who wanted to pick on him because he was a weird, scrawny little nerd. Um, But they loved science fiction and they desperately wanted to learn how to make a rocket (laughs) so (laughs) during this time 1920s into world war one um rocketry and rocket science was not something considered to be for intelligent people (laughs) it was actually widely mocked because it was thought you know it's really fucking funny it was largely thought of like you're you're yeah that's where the phrase comes from it's it 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 just was not something that was thought to be for intelligent people. It was a dream of the clouds and the stars. It was for people who had their heads, you know, way up there and weren't grounded or level-headed. Um, it was mocked by the greater scientific community. It's a really weird time at this point, too, because you're only a couple of years before um, the collapse of Wall Street and the Great Depression sets in. Science is constantly expanding, expanding and yet rockets are ridiculous i'm like what to think about because we grew up in a time when we've already been to space but having never gone to space before Mm -hmm. like how wild that would never done that like there's no fucking way (laughs) yeah right right but the things like the telescope and the microscope have been around for hundreds of years so it's this weird point of growth they're getting ready to be pulled into a world war like all of this stuff is happening and persons couldn't he Jack couldn't get this out of his his mind. He wanted to build a fucking rocket. This was his goal. So they would take gunpowder out of cherry bombs. No. <laughs> yep. Oh no. Amazing. Someone didn't blow a hand off. I was gonna say, how many fingers is this person missing? None. <laughs> What? A miracle. A None. fucking uh, I have fucking no miracle. idea. They would literally build these rocket engines, try to build rockets with gunpowder. They slowly poured out of cherry bombs that they had somehow cracked <laughs> open oh my God. and would pour the gunpowder together. And eventually Jack's backyard was just covered in craters. Oh, my God. <laughs> From where so they- he's a mama's boy. Yeah, Jesus Christ. There was a, a bit in there about that. It wasn't a direct quote from Ruth, but it was ba- it was essentially like, well, boys will be <laughs> boys. It's no biggie that our glorious backyard has a bunch of holes in it. My little Jackie can do no oh, wrong. Oy, oy, oy. 
Um, however, what is also interesting to me too is that these amazing stories, you know, they're written by Poe's in here. You have Poe and Vern who are like opposite ends in a lot of ways about what, considering what they're writing about. In some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. It takes different forms. Um, and Jack really, really liked the idea of some of this darker stuff. The occult. <laughs> the occult! Um, brilliant kid. Absolutely Looney Tunes, though. Just like, a Cherry Bob, let's see what happens. Oh my um, god. Can I have one of those Luigi boys? <laughs> <laughs> exactly! Yes! Oh my god! Um, however, all of this is happening, but Jack is struggling in school. It's been assumed, not without evidence, um, that Jack had undiagnosed dyslexia. Mm. And eventually, as he gets to be a teenager, he's too much of a handful for his mom. Again, still single mom. She stayed that way for the rest of her life. Uh, and she eventually sends Jack to Brown Military Academy for Boys in San Diego. And then he was promptly expelled because he liked to blow up the toilets. <laughs> with <laughs> bombs. <laughs> uh, we, should, we, should we be surprised? No. Fantastic. No, no, no. He he blew up several while he was there in a very short amount of time. <laughs> it's very funny. Um, so he and his uh, friend uh, Foreman keep their friendship up, and they keep dreaming of you know building these rockets. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase "ad astra per aspera"? That's from fucking Star Trek. It is actually originated with them. No. Uh, Yes, it did. It did. It means roughly in Latin through difficulties to the stars. There's a couple of variations on it, but they um, used it as part of what we're about to get into, which involves more rockets and explosions. Yes. <laughs> so these two guys keep at it through their teenage years. They had figured that if they if they understood enough how to get a rocket off the ground, which they did not at this point, um, they they would uh, something it would be amazing it would be something for the record books you know uh jack barely manages to graduate high school again probably undiagnosed dyslexia he goes to the university of southern california or usc for a couple of years on and off he eventually does a year at stanford but he's so distracted by his experiments and college was expensive. This is right after the Great Depression. His wealthy grandfather had lost almost everything during that time. So Jack decides that he's going to supplement his experiments and his uh, education at a, not shockingly enough, a nitroglycerin uh, can't factory. Go wrong. <laughs> Excellent. Oh. Beautiful. It was something called the Hercules Powder <clears throat> Company. Again. Yeah, I know, but it's actually, I was like, you know what? I'm going to look at the history of this company, and I'm glad I did. So not <laughs> only were was Jack stealing, of course, a little bit on the side from the company to take home some things, um, the Hercules Powder Company, in that name at least, had only come into existence back in 1912, a couple of years before Jack was born. And this happened because of a Supreme Court decision that broke up the DuPont explosives monopoly. So DuPont files off their nitroglycerin business, changes the name, says, well, we're in line with the Supreme Court decision. It's not a monopoly anymore. Look, it's a totally different company, even though we're still getting all the money from it. And uh, DuPont's one of the worst companies ever on the face of the planet. 
Oh, still yeah. is. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then Hercules very quickly becomes one of the major producers for smokeless powder for warfare during the 20th century. So they're making a weapons. Oh, and money. And money. And money. DuPont has a terrible track record, of course, and uh, usually lobbies against taking action on things like climate change. And they've also been accused of many, many, many things, including like dumping toxic wa- wastewater into rivers and giving people cancer in certain towns. They're fun. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It's fine. Derailing. Uh, yeah. yeah. So this is where Jack is working to be all that said. And eventually, after a lot of trial and error, the two of them, Parsons and Foreman, uh, construct what's known as a solid fuel rocket engine. Okay. Okay. Right. So I was like, okay, they build this thing called a solid field rocket engine. Um, they were not the first to do it. It's interesting, though, who they got help uh, from on that. Elon Musk. Jack had, uh, no, uh, someone actually <laughs> oh. way worse. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, wait till I get there. Uh, so he was at, while they were doing this over the years, when they were, you know, late teenagers, early 20s. Jack is writing to the scientists back when you could just do that. I mean, you still um, can. You still can. But you should send in your paper for free. You then. probably aren't. Do. Yeah, uh, yeah. The response might be different. Um, um, oh, quick pro tip. If you're trying to get a hold of a paper uh, and you don't want to have to pay the journal, uh, email one of the uh, fucking scientists yes. directly. Uh, yep. because nine times yeah. out of ten they'll give it to you saying. because they're not getting paid. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Oh, yep. I'm sorry. I heard you, and then uh, we're just okay. reinforcing good. it. Good. So sorry. Good news for people. Good things no, for people. But that's to know. yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's a very good thing. Yeah, I've seen that. I, we've all seen that pop up on like Twitter and stuff too, where it's like, I wrote this paper, you know, or we wrote this paper. It's really important. Don't pay the journal. Just come DM me or whatever, and I'll give it to you. Like, yeah. Also, but there may or may not be a website called SciHub that could help you out. But I, I don't know what you're talking about. Or deny. I have that- no idea. What's a what's a website? Yeah, HTTPS. Yeah. Uh, what Jack was actually doing was having letter trade. He was writing letters back and forth with these extremely well-known scientists. So we have Herman Oberth, who was uh, who's considered one of the founding fathers of rocketry and astronautics. Probably somebody you want to write to, except for the fact that he supported Nazi Germany's aggregate yeah. rocket program. Well, it's just a so, different you know, opinion, opinion though, right? There. Like, it's just an opinion. Right. Yep, it's just an opinion. Uh, we have another guy called Konstantin Shlyakovsky, who was a Russian and Soviet rocket scientist who pioneered mm-hmm. astronautics. Uh, Willie Lay, who was a German and American science writer and a proponent of cryptozoology. Yes. I would write Interestingly that guy. enough, the crater Lay <laughs> on the far side of the moon is named oh. after him. And of course, we can't leave out my favorite, Werner von Braun, the father of space travel and a known Nazi who surrendered to the Americans at the end of World War II and was then transferred into a work contract that eventually led into a successful career with NASA. And NASA really liked to ignore the fact that he was That's a Nazi. That's ignore a lot of people. NASA ignores yeah. Jack Parsons. I uh, 
There is a long and well-known history of, can you help us advance Mm -hmm. farther than this other country? We'll forgive Mm -hmm. you war crimes. Yep. War crimes. Don't know her. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's. It, it's a it, that was a point I got to this point and I was like you know this is a really really pivotal time in history that we're talking about and then you get this kid who is literally on the phone for hours at a time with fucking Werner von Braun. Yeah, it's wild what to me. What a time! I know. So Parsons um, continues to kind of bounce in and out of university. He's still struggling. He would actually never obtain a degree. Again, not that that piece of paper means anything. Um, But this would be something that would come back to bite his reputation in the ass more than a few times. He kept working at the Hercules Powder Company, but began to suffer from headaches due to the exposure to nitroglycerin. And those headaches would plague him for the rest of his life. Yeah. Oh, worker safety. What? Uh, so uh, as they get older Parsons informants start to see Caltech in California doing really interesting things with science that's pretty adjacent to what they're experimenting with and they attend a lecture on the work of Austrian rocket engineer Eugen Sanger and they approach the lecturer for help but were redirected to a man named Frank Molina who was a PhD student at Caltech. He was a brilliant mathematician and a mechanical engineer. And this is where everyone gets on like a house on fire and they immediately are like, yes, we are going to build a rocket together. And they start applying for funding from Caltech, but they did so without mentioning that their ultimate goal was to send rockets <laughs> to space. For a build one for fun. It's just like we just want to play with explosives and build a build another solid fueled rocket engine that can burn for more than like two seconds. Is that cool? Caltech, Caltech gives them money. They're like, cool, thanks. It was like five thousand dollars, which is a lot of fucking money back then. Yeah. How many rockets could you have made out of that that time? That's what I want to know. I don't know. They burned through the money pretty quickly, mostly because they were constantly <laughs> blowing shit up. But that sounds right. Uh, yeah, yeah. The three of them, too, make this really interesting triumvirate because the PhD student, Melina, is the mathematician. We have Edward Foreman, who is the machinist. He does the hands-on construction. And then you have Parsons, the explosives and chemical expert, who is also a little bit on the side of the Looney Tunes. So all of them together are like, let's do this shit. Um, they go to Melina's doctoral advisor, who then makes a really interesting choice to let them operate within the confines of the Guggenheim Aeronautic Laboratory, or GALSIT, on the Caltech campus. And this is despite the fact that two of the three aren't even students. Wait a fucking minute. Wait Mm -hmm. a fucking minute. How did they... (laughs) How did they... (laughs) How did they get the money? Like the one PhD student got the grant and then Dumb and Dumber just get a tag along? Is that how that worked? Where is the grant proposal? I want to see the grant proposal. Don't know her. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. Got her on a smile and a name. Couldn't tell her. Couldn't know her. Don't know her. Couldn't, they was, couldn't they tell you. The Wild West of, of pre-space flight science, baby. Dude, I know. I, what a I know. time. Like, I, oh. can, I, can we just go back in time? I just want to discover some stuff. But with yeah. equal rights. And, I mean, um, I, could, I could 
I could bind. bind. I could be a dude. <laughs> I would be a dude I could for be science. A dude for I'm science. fine with that. There's yeah. a quote. I could be a dude for science. <laughs> That's the next shirt. Or like ever finding <laughs> non-existent collection. Like oh I, I'm pretty, I would wear that. I know. I know. We should. I oh, should. Sh- I should oh, maybe shit. do a thing. But also, I would wear that. Yeah, I'd be a dude for science. Oh, next live stream, we should get shirts like that made and wear them. That would be great. All the random shit we said. Been like that. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, what they get through this little deal is money, uh, or no, no money, sorry, no extra money, but they do get use of the facilities and some resources. So the three of them had to finance all of their like material components for their experiments on their own. So Jack goes to take more shifts at the Hercules powder factory, leads to more headaches because of more nitroglycerin exposure. Not great. Uh, they do this for years, years and years of experimenting, arguing, failing, going back to the drawing board, starting all over again. Um, they all shared kind of this, um, I guess what we would probably call now socialist set of values. Parson flirts a little bit with Marxism at a time, which will bite him in the butt with the Red Scare. Um, so I give you a picture from 1936 uh, of a group that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Here's Jack first. Let me give you him. Good looking dude. He's got some great pictures. But I was trying to find pictures for the website. Very, <laughs> very suave. Yeah. Yeah. It's a this is probably the picture he's most well known for is when he's explaining um this bomb. It's a car bomb that was planted in a, de- a private detective's car. He was a witness. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Let me, uh, let really me tell interesting. you about this pipe bomb I got here in my hand. Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Uh, here's a group. Here's a picture of uh, what you could call the Gausset w- Rocket Boys from Caltech. Uh, Jack is on the far right at the bottom there, um, and then you have Foreman. I f- believe Foreman is the one sitting on this on the rock. You have, uh, and I think the mathematician. I think Molina is in the very back there by the sandbags, and the other two guys here that we'll talk about. So that's that's these guys uh, in 1936, which is about where we're at in the story. Um, uh, you know, mid to mid to late 1930s. Um, eventually, uh, Jack gets kind of lonely, and he, uh, you know, he's failing in his experiments, but his social life kind of flourishes. We'll say he meets a woman named Helen Northrop at a local church dance. They fall madly in love. He proposes in July 1934. He was 20 years old. She's a couple years older. And then they get married the very next year in April 1935. Didn't even wait a whole year. Just go, go, go. We had to have sex those days, right? Um, right, You had to do to have sex mm -hmm. in those days, right? I mean, well, they met at church, okay? Yeah, I know. Yeah. (laughs) How many babies <laughs> were born out of wedlock? Because I can think of one or so something. Yeah. Or in the old lot. days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Jack takes on a new, better paying job at a place called the Halifax Powder Company. Still powder company. Still doing the same kind of it's thing. Still chemical. getting the headaches. You would think the extra. Uh, the oh, sorry. What? 
Popping the chemicals. <laughs> yep. Yep. That'll kill some brain cells. Um, you would think the extra money would go to the household, his new wife. Uh, no, it goes right back into his experiments. Yes, it does. You're going to find out real quickly that Jack Parsons is not <laughs> a good dude, nor is he a good husband. He's kind of terrible. It's amazing. Um, I was just like, this guy is so focused on what he's doing. He can't even acknowledge the fact, like, Helen basically used to say, like, oh, you know, yeah, all the extra money goes to Jack's experiments. I wasn't even able to get, like, a new dress this year because, yeah. Yep. Uh, he also, as he's spending all the money on his rocket group, and when that's not enough, he also makes nitroglycerin in their home right on the front porch to get extra cash. And who is he selling this to? <laughs> you yeah. know, people who need nitroglycerin real fast in a hurry. Go, go, go. Car bombs. Car bombs were actually quite popular but in I'm LA sure at the time. Illegal. Yeah, yeah. So is making nitroglycerin on your front fucking porch. Um, like it was it was like a regular thing for people to be car bombed back then yes in la yes huh the mafia the the mob ran la for a long time the lapd has always been corrupt yeah from the get-go the it has always been run by different gangs it uh, it is a problem to this day um yeah la was at the time was seedy vile not somewhere you went if you were considered to be a moral or upstanding person um and it only got worse when they started including things like hollywood in there and then everything just got wild yeah yeah totally totally happened all the time uh jack also pawned helen's engagement ring and hit up her family for money Oh, what a gem. Yeah, he's a dick. He's brilliant, but he's a dick. Yep. Yep. Did it without asking her, just did it. Um, The group is still cash-strapped because they're doing more things with more of their experiments. And so they the group grows to encompass more students. And then they test their first liquid-fueled liquid fueled motor. Just the motor. We're not launching rockets right now. We're just making sure the motor works near a place called the Devil's Gate Dam in the Arroyo Seco, and they do this on Halloween 1936. It's just a big plateau, desert plateau outside the city um, where you can get out there and just see for miles. It's like where they, it's very similar to the areas they used to do the big Mythbuster drives when they had to test like full cars and shit. Just miles of nothing. So, you know, at the very least, you're not going to hit anybody, hopefully. Um, they do this on Halloween 1936. The attempt fails because the oxygen line ignites and actually spews fire. <laughs> oh my god. OSHA? Don't know her. <laughs> Don't know her. <laughs> Not the first problem they're going to have. So they keep testing through the remainder of the year. And then in January 1937, they have a successful test. So they're like, woohoo! Uh, the PhD advisor, uh, who had kind of, you know, bolstered them, said they could now test on campus. He would no come to regret kidding. that decision. Wow. <laughs> that was a choice. It was a, it was a choice. Yep, it was a choice. So now we have 
uh, the group that you see in the picture that I gave you. So we have um, these three guys, another Caltech mathematician uh, from China originally named Keon, and then a Caltech laboratory assistant named Weld Arnold. His first name was Weld. Um, Oh. Yep, like welding materials and art metal. He was also the group's photographer, so that picture you see, he took. He didn't want anything from the group. He was an interesting little, like, tag-along for them, in a way. Uh, he just wanted to see them light shit on fire and take <laughs> pictures of it. <laughs> Which I was like, you know what? Yes. <laughs> that was, it's basically like my high school group of friends. It's great. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's fine. Um, so this group, six of them all, or no, uh, sorry, five of them all together became known as the campus's suicide squad. <laughs> it's so wild. So they had another test, a notable, particular notable one in August 1937, uh, where they ruined the lawn in front of the university's Gates Chemistry Lab by, quote, accidentally siphoning too much nitrogen tetroxide, a highly corrosive liquid, turning the lawn brown and endangering many people but on campus. But they did it for science. <laughs> cool. But they did it for science. Another really epic failure that they had right after that happened when their rocket apparatus inside oh, no. one of the buildings leaked a toxic cloud of nitrogen tet I cannot say this tetroxide and alcohol that rusted every piece of scientific equipment. Oosh, in the that would have been expensive. Building. On Contact. They had to, before they could use anything on the campus again, they basically had to put some elbow grease into it, and they spent long weeks polishing off every bit of rust from every single piece of equipment. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a little funny. I was like, haha, get your Cinderella on, bitches, because you just almost (laughs) ruined all of this. Like, come on. All right, so explosions. Just explosions in general become par for the course for this group until they eventually have to move their operations to the Upper Arroyo, which is actually where the massive JPL, or Jet Propulsion Lab, now stands that is part of NASA. Mm -hmm. So anyone who lives out in that area who might be listening, they're going to go, oh yeah, you know, JPL, absolutely, I know exactly where that is, because it's a huge campus. So yeah. The JPL that came right out of these guys basically trying to blow themselves up. It's nuts. It's nuts to me that this happened. Um, so when they're doing all of this, it's interesting that it wasn't actually an actual rocket engine that caught outside scientific community attention. But it's actually Jack's expertise because he's tried to blow himself up so many times. Um, That picture, that very first picture that I gave you where he's holding an explosive, uh, he was called in as an explosives expert in the trial of Captain Earl Kynette, who I feel like I need to do an episode on at some point. Really bit of a bastard. Uh, He was the head of police intelligence in L.A. And like we had talked about, L.A. was a little bit of a den of corruption at the time. And Kynet stood trial for conspiring to set a car bomb meant to kill private investigator Harry Raymond, who was a former LAPD detective who was fired after whistleblowing on police corruption. So he Mm. tried to fix the corruption by blowing up a guy. Um, But Jack was charming, smart 
well-spoken, and it did not matter that he had no formal education in chemistry, just his own experience and experiments, and he thoroughly charmed everybody, and this is what puts his name in the papers and in the public eye, and that's where everything goes banana pants. So, now he's kind of famous. And now people are looking at what this group is doing and they're going, hmm, maybe we should be paying more attention to this. Maybe rocket science isn't actually a joke. Ha ha ha, let's go learn from these guys. And this is just when Jack's like, that's great. I have all this attention now. Let me start investigating black Perfect. magic. Totally logical Perfect. side hobby. Totally good. Totally. Combo, I think it's a great idea. Um, I think we should always do this. Wonderful. So here's a picture of a very young Alistair Crowley. It looks like a tool. It's amazing. He is very it's, punchable. Yeah. Very, yeah. He has a pretty punchable face. <sighs> Rightly so. Alistair motherfucking Crowley. And it's, again, I feel like it's one of those names that unless you are really steeped in a particular niche part of history, people are just, they write off Alistair Crowley in the same way that they write off any one of that ilk, Marquis de Sade, any of these guys who were twisted and weird, but their impact on our culture has lasted for decades and centuries, and we just don't realize it until you start looking at it. So, okay, so Thalema. <laughs> Let's talk about Thalema for a second. Thalema! Alistair Crowley's little religion that he founded. Um... Really fascinating. This is where I started to truly get like derailed. I was like, no, no, must resist the call of the occult. Come back. <laughs> Don't get embroiled in this right now. You can do it later. But from Thalema's Book of Law, their, their core, their, not Bible, but Bible, uh, I give you their three main axioms that are, you know, part of this core of the belief system. So, um, the statement of primary importance in Thelema, which is called the law of Thelema, is known as do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Basically, I can do whatever the fuck I want as long as I say that it's part of Thelema. Sounds like many religions. <laughs> oh. Mm. Yeah, they just said <laughs> the quiet part out loud. Like... Um, this is supplemented by a second follow-up statement that reads, love is the law, love under will, which was an excuse for orgies. I can get behind that. But, uh, really? Oh. I mean, that's fair. Mm -hmm. do, we need a, do we need an excuse for orgies? Well, we do when it Probably involves Probably not, but like, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you have those two statements together that are generally believed to be better appreciated or better understood by considering a third statement, which just reads very plainly, every man and every woman is a star. Which I don't think is, oh. is offensive in any way, shape or form. It's supposedly a reference to the body of light, which is said by Plato, uh, you know, to be, okay. we're all star stuff, right? Okay. Basically, yeah, I was like, okie dokie, yeah. I'm fine with the Carl Sagan part of this long before Sagan was born. That's fine. We occupy a time and position in space. We're distinctly individual. We have an independent nature. We shouldn't have conflict with other stars. Wonderful. I love the world peace. Miss Congeniality speech. That's fine. But it involves Aleister Crowley, <laughs> which is where we get screwed. 
Um, so Alistair Crowley, that Crowley, not the Crowley from Good Omens, as big of a David Tennant stand as I am, not that Crowley. Um, which it makes the name even funnier. Uh, so Crowley came, claimed that the Book of Law was written in Egypt during his honeymoon with his new wife in April 1904. No one cares. His influence spreads in kind of surprising ways. And it's this influence that eventually moves from England to the U.S. It gets wrapped up in L.A. and it snares Jack Parsons. So he and his new wife, Helen, attend a church of Thelema in Hollywood in January 1939. And if you're getting Scientology vibes, you would correct correct because this is where l ron hubbard fucking got it oh yeah yeah so 1939 they get caught up in all of this the church appeals to their modern even maybe you could say libertine sensibilities the church was very progressive they welcomed actors gay people people of color anybody who came to their doors curious those gays they welcomed them so not the gay people Outwardly gay, like out gay, too, during this time. Really interesting. Um, Parsons wasn't big on, like, organized religion. He liked the ideas behind Thelema, but he wasn't big on, like, going to the events. So he starts to read Aleister Crowley's works on his own. And this is where his brilliance becomes susceptible to his own superstitions and occult leanings, because he's always been interested in it. And the more he reads Crowley's writings, the more he becomes he comes to believe that Thelema magic was a force that could be explained through quantum physics. So the science is the occult, and the occult is the science. This is where no. we're at. Uh. I know, I know. And like we talked about, you know, science sometimes does feel sort of magical, especially when you're like, we discovered this thing that you can only see at so many billion tenths of a magnification or whatever. Like, you're like, whoa. Yeah, really? That's cool. It's if you chemistry class, that's fucking alchemy. Right. Like you're just you're putting stuff in a tube, putting other stuff in a tube, and holding shit. Yeah, something happens. What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's you know the things that we can do now: transplanting organs, exploring the stars and distant planets, turning the way you know, finding ways to turn sunlight and energy and. Genetic modification? My god, yeah. Everything that we've done. I get where he's coming from. That's just where we where he continues and I stop. So it's like, yeah, this is dope shit. It's not magic. Magic's not real. So um Jack and his wife Helen are eventually initiated into what's called the Agape Lodge. It's what they renamed the Church of Thelema in February 1941. I will call it the Lodge from here on out. But there it's the are love lodge. the love kind of. Um, there's. <laughs> I thought you called it the there... Milk Lodge, and I was like, "What do you know that I don't?" <laughs> oh boy, what That's... is happening? Mm. Oh I... no, bad. Uh, they were in deep by this point, especially Jack. So he and Crowley begin to write to each other. And they begin to basically poke each other's brains and be like, do you have deeper meaning in this? Yes, I have deeper meaning in this. And it, he, Jack goes so far as to send what little money he has to Crowley. And Crowley eventually over the years becomes seriously dependent on this money. Um, Jack Parsons becomes one of Aleister Crowley's biggest uh, backers, we'll say, financial backers through the rest wow. of his life. 
He barely had money himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he basically did the cult thing. He He's giving all of his money yeah. away to the cult leader. That's a decision. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. None of it's really shocking when you think about how esoteric and magical rocket science and jet propulsion, as we would eventually name it, probably seemed to Jack. Like we had said, it wasn't, it was only becoming kind of serious at an academic level. But Jack and his team knew that things were possible and they just wanted to answer the question of what else was out there that they hadn't yet discovered. And then it gets real dark. Uh, so just giant trigger warning <laughs> where we're at right here. Um, with Jack donating the bulk of his salary to Aleister Crowley and to the Lodge's endeavors, they're recruiting new people into the church. His personal life starts falling apart. He's neglecting his wife. Not shockingly. Uh, Helen leaves their home for a while, very frustrated with everything that's going on. And then Jack, spurred on by the Lodge's sexually permissive, quote-unquote, rules, starts dating Helen's 17-year-old sister, hey. Sarah. How old is he by this point? Yep. Uh, when Helen... He is... He was born in 1914, oh. and this is 1941. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Yep. Mm-mm. Yep, that's an adult yeah. with a child. Um... So when Helen comes back after her her little leave, uh, her younger sister, Sarah, proclaimed that she was Jack's new wife. Um, Jack admitted that he found Sarah more sexually appealing over his current wife. Just yikes. Uh, And then no one's getting a divorce. Everyone's staying married to each other. Helen decides to start dating someone else from the lodge with whom she would eventually have a child. And the two couples managed to remain friends, however, and all of this was fine under the rules of Thelema and, of course, under Crowley's watchful eye. Okay, then. No. I know. Okay, so into the dark we go. You thought that was dark. Let's keep going. Uh, So you have the four of them. You have Jack and Sarah and Helen and her new beau, Wilford Talbot Smith who was a high leader in the Thalema Lodge yeah, he was. that they were all now living in. I don't they decide to, yeah, <laughs> you know, lodging in both places. Um, the lodge, these group of people basically start a commune. They move into a house together. The house forms the base for the lodge where they stew around in their beliefs. They go as far as slaughtering their own livestock for meat and then using the blood for blood rituals. Parsons decorates he and Sarah's room with a collection of swords and daggers, very similar to that picture oh, of Alistair Crowley I just sent you not that long ago. Oh, Edge, you know what? Mm. Oh my mm. fucking god. <laughs> this is what happens uh, when you LARP <laughs> before the internet. <laughs> this is what happens when you believe your fanfic a little too much. Oh, these assholes. Oh, my God. Uh, Jack converts the garage and the laundry room into a chemical laboratory and then held science fiction discussion meetings in the kitchen. There were whole families that moved into this place, including parents and children. And then Jack was often seen leading fairy hunts for the kids in the 25-acre garden. Okay, that's cute. (laughs) 
Oh, oh no. I like to wear a lab coat. Oh my science. This is bad. This is this is really bad. I'm I am in about a paragraph and a half about to read oh, you some God. unpublished poetry. No. God, I love weirdos so much. Oh, so Jack's enthusiasm for Thalema keeps bleeding into his work. Um, the lines are blurring at this point. He frequently goes in hungover and sleep deprived due to lodge activities. So, you know, because do what thou wilt means generally a lot of depravity uh, in excess. Um, lodge but it, activities. Uh, yeah, the lodge activities. <laughs> I sometimes when I was writing this, I was like, I am cringing just even reading this stuff. Because it is so cringy and bad and just edgelord, <laughs> like you said, Kayla. That's really Jack Parsons, the original edgelord. I fucking love that. Oh, my God. Um, so all crashes down on him when the Pasadena Police Department and the FBI begin to investigate the lodge on the basis of a black magic cult, quote unquote, involved in sexual orgies. One complainant was a 16 year old boy who oh, said he no. was raped by lodge members. I couldn't find anything else on that. Just there was an original complaint that then kind of disappeared off the grid. Um, there were neighbors complaining of seeing, God, seeing naked pregnant women jumping through hoops of fire. <laughs> what? The how much fuck? of this is like moral panic, and how much of this is real? It's a little, well, uh, that was real because the Lama, these women believed that the fire would bless her and her child. Um, I found evidence for that. I have not, again, found evidence for or against the rape allegation. Um, so technically, they're not actually breaking any laws. Jack, in his charming way, plays it all off as the Lodge being a, quote, an organization dedicated to religious and philosophical speculation. And eventually, both the Pasadena police and the FBI closed their investigations. Mm -hmm. And to be a white man in like the 30s uh -huh. and 40s and you can uh -huh. just get all kinds anything. of money to make rockets with no credentials and then anything like, you want to do yeah napalm on your porch fuck your wife yeah. sister yeah yeah that's all good <laughs> fuck uh, he, life, dude he's on the downside at this point he's habitually using cocaine amphetamines peyote mescaline and opiates jesus christ how is he standing Rocket propulsion. Oh, no. <laughs> so many drugs. He, oh, my God. He sleeps with multiple women and gets one, at least, the fiance of another lodge member pregnant, and she goes on to have an abortion. Ugh. Yeah. So, all of this tied together. And then he writes poetry. So, here we go. I don't want to hear it. Oh, it's <laughs> so fucking it. good. He tried to write this thing called the Aura Flame Journal, which he said would be, like, dedicated to Crowley and Thalema. And I was like, you're in a cult. Get out. Um, get out now. Uh, so the poem goes, I height Don Quixote. I live on peyote. Marijuana, morphine, and cocaine. I never knew a sadness, but only a madness that burns at the heart oh and the brain. I height? I height H I G H T. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. That's not English, but okay. I think I um, laughed for a solid minute after I first read. I I heard. I'm reading. I heard. 
Listen, um, just because you are a rocket science genius well, there was, there was does not mean you can write poetry. He, had, um, he was uh, no. dyslexic too, right? Right, right. So, yep. I'm just going to be um, real honest. Most people should not write poetry. <laughs> no, no. I, yep, I'm with you. I thought I could write poetry <laughs> at one point. No. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a form that I I can I can do. I'm no. too fucking wordy for that. I, um, I just feel like you end up going so emo with though. it, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. you just don't need, no, we don't need to go. There. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's gonna get worse, y'all. Um, so his professional life is still circling the drain. The money that he and the others who founded this company they called Aerojet um, increased, however. And just as they're starting to manage this company, even though he's a mess, World War II strikes. So the U.S. Navy eventually gives Aerojet and Parsons and his team a $3 million grant to develop rocket-based weapons. And the business eventually goes on to be named the Jet Propulsion Laboratory that we mentioned that still stands today that is part of NASA. NASA kind of roped it in later on uh, in the 20th century. The Navy at this time for $3 million is ordering 20,000 rockets a month from Aerojet. Yep. Business flourishes. Parsons is coming in high, drunk, sleep deprived. He's not, he's not listening. He's not like everyone else is getting sick of this guy at this point. Right. And then his disregard for safety becomes a big sticking point. And he's eventually removed from the company when a buyout came knocking. They're like, we're going to get rid of the, Guy with fair. the bombs. Okay, good. Right. Um, <laughs> yep, fair. So <laughs> get him out of here before he blows us all up. Yeah. Uh, no business now. Parsons and his good old buddy Edward Foreman found the Ad Astra Engineering Company, under which Parsons founded the chemical manufacturing Vulcan Powder Company. Both of those might sound familiar. They're steeped in in history uh dealing especially because ad astra quickly falls under fbi scrutiny for suspicion of espionage when security agents from the manhattan project discovers parsons quote parsons and foreman had procured a chemical used in a top secret project for a material known only as x metal anybody want to take a guess what x metal is (laughs) i wish right like (laughs) Uh, no, na- uh, natural oh, yes. uranium. Oh, totally safe. Yeah. Yeah. Manhattan Project, uranium, yeah. Uh, they eventually are acquitted of this. Money is still tight, so Parson begins renting rooms in the lodge to non-lodge members. And some notable names from history include journalist Neeson Himmel, Manhattan Project physicist Robert Cornog, and science fiction artist Louis Goldstone. And the house becomes this like okay. spot for bohemians, so artists, Worried musicians, about him anarchists, Manhattan stuff. Anybody gonna like that? A Manhattan Project. I live there. Uh huh. Oh, I know. I know. And eventually, they get a man, a science fiction writer, and a U.S. Navy officer named the L. Ron Hubbard who moves into the lodge. I know, right? He and Parsons develop this really deep and close personal friendship. Parsons wrote of Hubbard, quote, he has no formal training in magic, but he has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in the field. 
From some of his experiences, I deduce that he is in direct touch with some higher intelligence, possibly his guardian angel. He is the most thalamic person I have ever met, as in, and is in complete accord with our own he principles. Knew. He has no Just, form. Where does one get formal magic training? Bash has no formal training, but he has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in the field. Oh. Does that sound like Jack? Because it sure does. With rockets yeah, like, and Alistair science. Crowley was out there. Obviously, he could have just like phoned him up and been like, "I need." That person's just taking him under his wing. I Where maybe did he get his magic training. It's all fucking made up. There's no everything is made up. Nothing is real. Like, chill out, guys. Made up, and the points don't matter. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god! So Jack and Sarah have an open relationship, and she becomes fascinated by Hubbard. And Jack gets jealous. <laughs> uh, right Jack worries that... I know, right? Underage sister, too. Uh, yes, it's, it's just... I, I only have to laugh because I was reading all of this and I'm going, what the fuck did I... Why? Why? Why did I pick this? But also, it's extremely entertaining. Um, Jack worries that he might not find a new partner through typical means, so he starts to conduct black magic rituals, which part. worried other members of the lodge. <laughs> they worried, yep, not yeah. about what Jack was doing. Yeah, you remember this one? Not about what Jack was doing, but what he might attract or even anger spirits that would infect the house and impact everyone. Fair. Okay. You're worried about everybody else. It's fine. He's clearly not. Jack starts to lose it at this point. He's reporting that he's witnessing paranormal events in the house, like poltergeist activity, orbs and strange lights and shadowy weird apparitions, and even strange symbols showing up on random surfaces. And then we have this amazing quote <laughs> about masturbation. So. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, in December 1945... Jack begins a series of rituals based on Enochian magic, during which he masturbated onto magical tablets, accompanied by Sergei uh, Prokoviev's second violin concerto. That's a spell. That's some magic there. What? Come Men get your magical jizz! No. 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 He's listening to classical uh -uh. while he's doing it. Come on. Uh -uh. He's just, while it's waiting. Just fucking go, go blow shit up for no reason. Go fuck off. That's what he was doing. He was blowing up his junk. <laughs> I was <laughs> crying. Fucking oh my god. It's so fucking good. Oh shit. Um, okay, hold on. We're not done yet. <laughs> Describing this magical operation as the Babylon working. He hoped to bring about the incarnation of Thalamite goddess Babylon onto Earth. And he allowed Hubbard to take part as was his he scribe. On the tablets before or after? <laughs> They're documenting what was happening while Jack's jerking off on this piece uh, of stuff. Did, we did mention that there was drugs, so I think that plays a factor here. So many drugs. You know, so many a lot drugs. Of drugs, I'm sure. But I feel like there's not enough drugs for that to go on. Wait, I have the best part. Hold on. No. I'm crying. I'm crying. Oh, my God. Um, so he allows Hubbard to be right there. Just, you know, I don't know why they both weren't wanking off. I don't know. Okay, anyways. They probably um, were. 
They probably were, yeah. Hubbard just didn't note that part. Um, Because Jack wanted Hubbard there because he believed that Hubbard was particularly sensitive to detecting magical phenomena. And I was like, dude, it's calm. Calm down. Like, it's not... It's not magic. As described by... Drink this. I need you to test it for me. God damn it. Oh, I hate it. I'm done. I'm over. I hate men. I hate it. (laughs) So, as described by somebody who lived in the house and witnessed this, um, a guy named Richard Metzger, Parsons jerked off in the name of spiritual advancement while Hubbard, quote, scanned the astral plane for signs. Brilliant. (laughs) Fucking excellent. Oh, fuck. Okay. Oh, God. All right. It gets worse. All right. Hold on. So Crowley falls deeper and deeper into his Thalamic beliefs and apparently the magic of his own jizz uh, and his own paranoias. And he meets a woman named Marjorie Cameron. She had come to visit the lodge and Parsons fully believed that she is the elemental woman in the manifestation of Babylon that he was trying to invoke. She showed up. She's beautiful. Of course, we're going, they're going to start perform, performing sex magic rituals together. No. While most of the Lodge watched. All y'all if that is your thing, Montauk Project. fine. Yes. <laughs> Peter Moon, the guy that published the books, claimed to have met Marjorie Cameron, Cameron that she was related to Duncan Cameron, right. who was the psychic that was used in the Montauk Project. Yep. So there's your connection, guys. Yes. 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 This is the, yeah, I yeah. went back and read that again. And I was like, oh, there Which it is. Which honestly, with this whole right jacking there. off and everything, it's kind of on brand, so. Kind of, yeah. It's, it, it's really wild. Um, they're, they're trying to conceive what they believed would be a magical child, but they believed that it would happen through immaculate conception. conception. And I was like, my dude, that train already left the station. Like, <laughs> Okay. Um, God. So Jack's greater belief was that, quote, the purpose of the Babylon working, a.k.a. just getting off in front of everyone, uh, was a daring attempt to shatter the boundaries of space and time, facilitating, according to Parsons, the emergence of Thelema's Aeon of of Horus, which was a core of Thelemic beliefs. Basically, the end of times. It was like in their way. Mythological, like, word salad. Mm-hmm. 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 So here is Marjorie was quite the painter. Here is a, a painting she did of Jack that she called Dark Angel. That's cool. Which is actually pretty incredible. Oh, that's neat. It's cool as shit. Yeah. It's scary knowing what we know about him now, but like if I just looked at that, it's really cool. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is it's very Sandman esque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was a very, very talented artist. Um, so Jack and L. Ron Hubbard become even more embroiled after the whole jacking off and recording it thing by starting oh. a company called Allied Enterprises, in which Parsons invested his life savings of twenty thousand oh. nine hundred and seventy U.S. dollars. This is pre-Scientology, but not by much. I just want to note that. During this time, L. Ron Hubbard is a young man. He's pretty good looking. He's very charming. Um, And they decide that their goal... This is where it gets 
you can just tell that Jack is not a businessman because he doesn't know what he's doing here. Um, the goal of the company is to go to Miami to buy three yachts, then sail through the Panama Canal to the West Coast what? where they would sell the yachts for a profit. Okay. guess that's a plan. Mm -hmm. That didn't make any sense. No. Um, it's a plan. It's not a good one. However, L. Ron Hubbard, behind Jack's back, had in secret requested permission from the U.S. Navy to sail to China and South and Central America on a mission to, quote, collect writing material. But he really just planned to cruise around on his essentially stolen yachts. Yep. Hubbard, as we know, had a thing for sailing. Um, yep. So, and that comes around again and again. Um, so essentially, Jack gets ripped off <laughs> as Hubbard and Sarah take off oh with $10,000 of his money. Uh-huh. Hubbard eventually talks Parsons into coming back around, and when Jack later finds out that Hubbard did buy three yachts but tried to flee without taking Jack along, Jack is, curses them via black magic. Better. It's batshit. I love it. They dis immediately dissolved the company, but Hubbard was required to reimburse Jack Parsons, but Jack took no further action. And Sarah, pissed off that she's lost a yacht and her new boy toy, threatens to report Jack uh -oh. for statutory rape. <laughs> Good. Uh, Sarah would... I know, <laughs> I know. Sarah would change her name to Betty and go on to become Hubbard's new wife quote-unquote, even though Hubbard was already married to a woman named Margaret Grubb. So. Anyone who's versed in Scientology is aware of Betty and her connection with Hubbard and how he kind of, like, tossed her off bonkers. toward the beginning of Scientology. So, yeah, it's, it's all looped. It's bonkers. All right, so we're getting to the end times here. Um, the years between 1946 and 1952 were career-ending for Parsons. He was investigated again by the FBI and stripped of his security clearance because of his, quote, subversive character, which included his sexual promiscuity and black magic rituals at the lodge. This would have been a post-World War II, right before the Red Scare. Uh, here is a page of Jack Parsons' mostly oh. redacted FBI file. Interesting. That you can get through a FOIA request. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. From 1951, I do believe. Um, so, yeah, that's, it's actually on Wikipedia. You can just go and grab it. It's really interesting. Which you can read. Yeah, it says, subject on September 15th, 1950, sorry, remove certain documents pertaining to jet propulsion motors and rocket propellants without authority from the Hughes, Howard Hughes, aircraft company, Culver City, California, so his place of employment. Mm-hmm. He was, we'll talk about that in a second, but yeah, he was accused of taking um, trade secrets, nice. basically, from Howard Hughes's company. Yeah. 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 He, Jack Parsons is investigated by the FBI multiple times. Um, the FBI is concerned about his connection with Marxists, again, happening during the beginning and the middle of the Red Scare, post-World War II America. Jack decides to take his ambitions abroad, which failed very quickly, and then he resorts back to the old standard of bootlegging <laughs> nitroglycerin all for else fails, money. Make nitroglycerin. If all else fails, I go back to what I know. 
Um, so as far as the FBI espionage allegations against Jack Parsons, with everything that he had gone, no woman, no money, no lodge, Jack no boats, uh, no <laughs> nothing. Got you got tablets you can jack off on and a twenty five acre piece of property. That's about it. Uh, Jack decides to return to black magic occultism and now embarks on this okay. sexual journey, mostly with sex workers. He claims mm. that he also has visions based in his thelemic beliefs. So we're full into I am the Messiah kind of thing um, because he swears that he then embodies quote an entity named Belarian Amelius. Al Dajal, the Antichrist, who am come to fulfill the law of the beast 666, aka oh. Alistair Crowley. Was Crowley even involved oh, okay. with him anymore at this point? It's fine. Okay. Yeah. Crowley was involved okay. with him till the day Crowley died. Yeah. What well, or, you know, Jack died. I forget when Alistair Crowley died. Not soon enough. Yeah, dude was a bastard. 1947. So he died right in the middle of all of this. I'm sure that helped with Jack's sanity. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, acquaintances during this time called Parsons a, quote, authentic mad genius. I if guess I that's ever a kind of compliment. It's about accurate, yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, Parsons did testify to a closed federal court that the moral philosophy of Thelema was both, quote, anti-fascist and anti-communist, which is true. Uh, and this, along with references from former co-workers, allowed <laughs> his security clearance to be reinstated. And then he immediately fucks it up. He uses his connections and old mentors to get a job with the Israeli Ooh. rocket program in 1950. Uh, Middle East. Middle of the 20th century. Yeah. Israelis. I was like, this is not good. He decides he's going to migrate to Israel, uh, but a secretary he asked to type up technical documents turned him into the FBI on suspicion of espionage. The FBI suspects Parson of spying for the Israelis, and some of his colleagues come to his defense once more. And then by October 1951, the U.S. attorney decides that his reports didn't constitute state secrets, so Parsons is cleared once again, and now he can go to Israel like he wants. And then back in comes good old Girl. Marjorie Cameron. She's back. Decide. I know, she, can't, she just can't leave him. She can't leave him alone. She decides that she wants to come back to Jack, and they decide to then travel to Mexico before their little jaunt across the oceans to is Israel. Um, the trip also allows Jack to take up a job opportunity, establishing, establishing an explosives <laughs> factory for the Mexican government. I know. I know. I, this is the, one of the going. hottest messes I've ever seen. It's truly I'm epic. So confused. I, I am know. So confused. Me too. <laughs> My brain. Um, they, while making plans to move to Israel and start a family, Jack is going to reestablish his rocketry career. But then Parsons starts to become super paranoid and becomes convinced yeah, that probably. the FBI was spying on him. Side note, they probably were. <laughs> like, they were probably were, but he was like having man in the shadows paranoia. Um, the cameras are in the walls kind of things. And then here we are. On June 17th, 1952, a day before they were set to leave for Mexico, Parsons received a rush order for explosives for
for a film set and started work in his home laboratory. Good places. If you cannot guess where this is going, that could be good. Uh, an explosion rocks the building, leaving Parsons with fatal wounds. I apologize right now for what I am about to read to you. So just bear with me. Uh, in short, his, quote, his right forearm was amputated. His legs and left arm were broken Ooh. and a hole was torn in the right side of his face. Jesus. He was Jeez. still alive. No! And found conscious by neighbors. He tries to talk to the ambulance workers who arrived, but by the time they got to the hospital, Jack Parsons was declared dead. I feel like with all the times he should have blown himself up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that it just always happened at once. Instead of taking little pieces we'll and that. your misses here and there. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that because oh. his death has never been formally solved. Um, oh. mm -hmm. So his mother is told of what mm -hmm. has happened. Ruth is still alive. And when you have an Oedipal thing going on with your mom and your mom is not right in the head, his mother learns of her son's death, Girl, and she oh, takes a fatal overdose of barbiturates. Oh. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. She had uh, nothing left to live for, apparently. Um, the official investigation by the Pasadena Police Department concluded that Parsons had been mixing a fulminate of mercury in a coffee can, which is very explosive which he accidentally dropped, caused the explosion, which became a fireball when it came to contact with other chemicals in the room. It made sense at first. But many of the people who knew Parsons rejected this, saying that he would never make such a rookie mistake, even for all of his disregard for safety regulations. Because it's just like one of those things where it's like, you don't do that. You just don't do that. Why would you do that? Because the risk yeah, is if you drop it, everything goes boom. Up so far, so, yeah. Um, the police said... Exactly, exactly. It's like, well, if, if he knew better, you know, he knew better, like, why would he do that? Um, the police said that Parsons had stored his chemicals in a crim criminally negligent way. Not shocking. He had also been on record for being uh, investigated for illegally storing chemicals at the lodge house in Pasadena. And they reported finding a morphine filled syringe at the scene, which suggested drug use. At the time, the police closed the case as an accidental death. Here is the obituary from June 19th, 1952 edition of the Pasadena Independent Newspaper. John W. Parsons, handsome 37-year-old rocket scientist killed Tuesday in a chemical explosion, was one of the founders of a weird semi-religious cult that flourished here about 10 years ago. Police reports yesterday pictured the former Caltech professor, he was not a professor, as the man who led a double existence, a down-to-earth explosive expert who dabbled necromancy. in intellectual necromancy. <laughs> I want that to be my band name. That will never have Intellectual necromancy is so fucking good. Like uh, possibly wow. he was trying to reconcile fundamental human urges with the inhuman Buck Rogers type of innovations his that sprang tubes. from his test tubes. Yes. From his test tube. I was like, oof, that was a that's an ending. All right. Um, theories about Jack Parsons' death continued to circulate. Was it suicide? Was it murder? Some people thought it was an assassination planned by Howard Hughes in response to Parsons' suspected theft of the Hughes Aircraft Company documents that he got in trouble for. Others became convinced the police had a role in Jack's death, which would not be fully out of line. 
or those who oppose Jack's work for Israel, but his death has never been definitively explained. There was a private prayer service, pardon me, <laughs> held for him at a funeral home where his body was cremated. Marjorie Cameron then scattered his ashes in the Mojave Desert before burning most of his possessions. She later tried to perform astral She's projection successful. to commune with him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know. Uh, and to end uh, with the remains and the reminder of an innovator... I cannot express how much Jack Parsons actually influenced the scientific and space community in America around the world. A very short list that I think is a rather impressive uh, posthumous CV, so to speak. Uh, in December 1958, the Jet Propulsion Lab, or the JPL, was integrated into the newly established National Aeronautics and Space Administration, having built the Explorer 1 satellite that commenced America's space race with the Soviet Union. Jack's legacy caused that to happen. Uh, Werner von Braun, who was nicknamed the father of rocket science and also was a Nazi, once argued that Parsons was more worthy of this moniker than he was. Among aerospace, the aerospace industry, the JPL was nicknamed as standing for Jack Parsons Laboratory okay. or even Jack Parsons Lives. The International, I know, Astronomical Union decided to name a crater on the far side of the moon Parsons after him in 1972. And in 1999, uh, Feral House Publishers published a, the biography Sex and Rockets, The Occult World of Jack Parsons by John Carter, who opined that Parsons had accomplished more in under five years of research than Robert H. Goddard had in his lifetime, who was one of, again, the founders of rocket science and aeronautics. And it said that his role in the development of rocket technology had been neglected by historians and science. Carter thought that Parsons' abilities and accomplishments as an occultist had been overestimated and exaggerated among Western esotericists, emphasizing his disowning by Crowley for practicing magic. He's disowned by Crowley? Grade. Oh. So, yes, I missed that part. Oh, Sorry, I missed a sentence or two up here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they had an argument about that right toward the end of Crowley's death um, because Crowley didn't want Jack to supersede him. Kind of a thing. Yeah. Heavy where is the head, right? Um, and then finally, um, just a, a little quote here. In 2005, Wendenfeld and Nicholson published Strange Angel, the otherworldly life of rocket scientist John Whiteside Parsons by George Pendle who described Parsons as the the Che Guevara of occultism. <laughs> I think it's pretty incredible. Um, Pendle said that although Parsons, quote, would not live to see his dream of space travel come true, he was essential to making it a reality. Pendle considered that the cultural stigma attached to Parsons' occultism was the primary cause of his low public profile. I would agree with this. Uh, noting that, quote, like many scientific mavericks, Parsons was eventually discarded by the establishment once he had served his purpose, which is kind of the theory as to why NASA doesn't really acknowledge him. Um, it was this unorthodox mindset creatively facilitated by his science fiction fandom and, quote, willingness to believe in magic's efficacy, Pendle argued, that, quote, allowed him to break scientific barriers previously thought to be indestructible, commenting that Parsons saw both space and magic as ways of exploring these new frontiers one breaking free from Earth, literally and metaphysically. And that is the end of Jack a fucking ride. John Whiteside Parsons. I can't believe you're so young. Ride. He died when he was 37 years old. 
blew himself up, supposedly. Never solved. Um, I think probably he was high and dropped something. You know? Yeah, that could very well be it. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... Um... I think he was high or hallucinating drrunk all of the above and yep. just was not paying attention to what he was puppy. doing and boom i mean died at died at 37 37 i am older than him yeah 37 37 years old i'm Damn. almost i'm almost kind of surprised that he didn't die no, earlier did earlier i know i know and a lot of the people And a lot of the people he worked with at Caltech went on to have extremely successful careers. But NASA did that thing where they were just like, oh, yeah, the JPL, we're going to fold this into the NASA. That's great. That's great. Jack Parsons don't know him. And kind of erased him. I went and looked on their website. There's barely anything on there about him. Hmm. Yeah. There's tons about the Jet Propulsion Lab and what's done. None of that fucking exists without Jack Parsons. A little bit. Yeah, there was a little bit of that acknowledgement, but you know how it is. He wrote his own mythology after he, quote unquote, founded Scientology. So there was a little bit about him. It was more in an acknowledgement of like, oh, yeah, you know, I knew this guy and we went into business once yeah, and it failed. Mistress. And then I founded Scientology. Now I'm fucking rich. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and yet Elrond has this cult, you know. That people have been suckered into and and stolen millions and millions of dollars from people and ruined people's lives. And Jack Parsons, who, again, was an outright bastard, uh, is a footnote in history a lot of the time. And he's the reason we fucking went to space. Like, it's wild. Absolutely wild. wild. Yeah, that was... So there we are. Ah. (laughs) That's, uh... Yeah. (laughs) Didn't see that one coming, did you? The book There's is really no good. Way to, like deal with any of that. No, no, no. It. I. I read the book, and I. I was looking and looking, and and that's why I had messaged y'all. Uh, you know, the the prior week. I'm like, there's way more here than I even really realized. Mm-hmm. I thought L. Ron Hubbard was going to be like a footnote, like, oh yeah, they hung out and got drunk one time or whatever. No, he's standing there while Parsons is jacking off on a fucking magical tablet. <laughs> mm. Fucking weird, dude. It is so fucking weird. It's weird. Just- just, just weird. Come onto the yeah. star map so I can fucking... Sure, it was a total circle jerk between him, Crowley, and <laughs> Rose, Rose, dude. <laughs> Rose. But also, if we, like... No, no. Well, and oh, what's really? funny is, you know, Crowley never came to the U.S. to visit For them. some reason, I had this in my mind that he was living mm. with them. No, he stayed in Britain. Oh, fucking hey. No. Mm-mm. Hmm. He yeah, stayed I in Britain. Have... They corresponded. Oh. They called each other all the time. Yeah. You mean he finessed that man out of the money he didn't have with a fucking ocean between date. them? With a phone call. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, know. I would be that yeah. cool. Crowley was a, a real, real sinister piece of shit. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, again, I think people know that, but when you look at like the details of it, you're going, whoa, whoa, dude, whoa. No. <laughs> Not at all. It's a lot. But yeah, that's where we're at. Fuck. All right. <laughs> Woo. Yep. Hell yeah. I'm into it. 
that's it for this week. Next week, we'll be talking about things that we're into right now, giving a bit of insight into where we get our ideas for topics and just sharing some of the things that bring us joy. As always, links, pictures, and additional information can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com. Keep up with all things exceptional. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at The Human Exception. Have a story you want us to cover? Want to tell us that we're wrong? You just want to say hi? You can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. Keep on being exceptional, my humans, and have a wonderful weekend. So a little bit of reading based on the... Oh, no. My God. Oh, my God. Robot. Uh, So um, the DC Comics reboot of the Jetsons in 2017 basically has um, Jane as like a NASA scientist and um, Rosie as like a body for George's basically 125 year old dead mom like oh my god like living on uh that's dark it's fucking brutal like their whole thing was hey we're living up in the sky and like at one point you know we we were trying to figure out how to Stop this meteor colliding with Earth, and they failed. And it wiped out the whole landscape, and so they had to settle above the clouds. Yeah. Oh my god. I have not heard of this. Brilliant. Oh Yeah, that's super dark. Wow. Okay. All right, I'm going to have to take a look at that. That's a good note to end on. Yep. (laughs) Holy shit. <laughs> Damn. I'll pick something more lighthearted. Maybe we'll read from those amazing stories next time or something. Sounds good. Yeah. All right.